Tracy says things. The podcast that is sick and fucking tired of having to defend ourselves from he said, she said. I'm your host, Tracy, and I say things, so be warned. Today, I have a group of friends here to have a pretty frank discussion about misogyny. So what is misogyny and where did that term even come from? Misogyny is the dislike of or contempt for or just straight up ingrained prejudice against women. In 1615, there was an English fencer named Joseph Swetnam, and he published this anti-woman pamphlet that was entitled in part, The Arraignment of Lewd, Idle, Froward, and Unconstant Women. And I didn't mispronounce that. Froward meant disobedient. It was basically a collection of sexist jokes, extremely distasteful, aimed at giddy-headed young men, and it was extremely popular. Quote, women are cooked by nature to sweeten them. The fairest woman has some filthiness in her, end quote. And of course, that makes women awesome, right? At least in my opinion. He made reference to the first woman, Eve, stating that, quote, no sooner made, but straight away her mind was set upon mischief. Her wanton will quickly procured man's fall, and therefore since they are and have been a woe unto man, end quote. So not surprisingly, this pamphlet drew several published responses from women of the day, and one was actually a play called Sweatnam the Woman Hater. The lead character was named Misogynos. So this word was little used for the next few centuries, really until the 1970s when second wave feminism came and Andrea Dworkin wrote the book Women Hating. She described how deeply ingrained prejudice against women had permeated pretty much all aspects of our society, from legislation to rules on cohabitation. She said, we women are living in a society that regards us as contemptible. We are despised. We are the victims of continuous, malevolent, and sanctioned violence against us. End quote. In the last few weeks in Saskatoon, there was an accusation leveled at a group of men by a woman who described an event that happened about five years ago at a video shoot. Tiara Jackal posted the account of the event as such. I paraphrase, but in 2015-2016, she was contacted by a Dr. Tyler Maltman, a Saskatoon family doctor, to act as a background receptionist in a video. He took her phone number from a sign-in sheet at a yoga class that he had taught. Disgusting. She was requested to wear tight and revealing black clothing. She met him at the Mediclinic where he practiced after hours. She noted that there were many red flags, but she stated that she went ahead because A, she was a young woman, and B, she was looking to build her career and gain acting experience. She noted that there were two other young women present, one who was noted as being underage at the time. Those women were all subjected to, quote, predatory and unprofessional misogynistic commentary and pressure to perform for the camera in ways that felt objectifying, overtly sexual, and demeaning, end quote. One of the young models was instructed to kiss David Thompson, one of the accused, in a small dark room, and she expressed that she was uncomfortable with the scene, but was coerced into it. Jackal then noted that Thompson left the room with an erection. Boundaries were definitely ignored. The women felt distressed and uncomfortable. When Jackal tried to leave at one point, she was pressured into staying by several of the men. Uh, this was all for a promotional video for the Yuga Kassen Team Canada, an international snow battle snowball fight held in Japan. There had also been a call for models in a Kijiji ad for this. The post read, quote, babes needed for filming with Team Canada, end quote. 
Jackal stated in her post, I feel that the men who organized and participated in this shoot leveraged their power and positions to take full advantage of those of us who were present as models that day. I find it impossible to believe that the men involved were as oblivious as they claimed to be about our extreme discomfort. It was a grotesque display of power, privilege, and misogyny. In the years following this experience, many of the men involved with the video have gained elevated positions and platforms within our community, some through the success of the musical group Bombargo. The success and associated power of these men continues to be gravely concerning, and I hope that coming forward with my story may serve as a future warning to others who have the opportunity to work with and support those individuals in the future. The individuals involved with this video shoot were named as Tyler Maltman, Reed Maltman, Nathan Thoen, Anthony Thoen, David Thompson, Chad Reynolds, and Landon Johnson. Both Chad Reynolds and Landon Johnson have confirmed their presence at the video shoot and have stated that there was discomfort among the women and that it was visible. So with this latest allegation, it adds another musical act on a cancel list. In August of 2020, the Dead South singer Danny Kenton quit the band because of three separate accusations of sexual misconduct. Since the hashtag MeToo and the Time's Up movements have opened the floodgates to more allegations, uh, and allegations that were never reported, and they've brought back to the news cycle stories that had been buried by the media, disturbing allegations about our most beloved musicians, people like Michael Jackson, molesting young boys, John Lennon's self-described abuse towards his then-wife, Julia, David Bowie's sexual escapades with underage groupies. Bands like the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin have had questionable lyrics and even more questionable, historically documented bad behavior. Ryan Adams, R. Kelly, Chris Brown, Dr. Luke, Twiggy Ramirez, members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, even Nick Carter. Backstreet's not back, all right? This is going to lead us to a very slippery slope in cancel culture. So, question. How do we decide when and who to turn off, and where do we go from there? The question of whether fans can separate the art from the artist is nothing new. Why do I necessarily need to stop listening to a musician's songs at all if I'm able to appreciate the art while condemning the artist's actions? So then for me, it's a matter of empathy. I believe that accusers' stories about these harmful, almost exclusively men in music. And if I believe someone like Ryan Adams' accusers, that they're telling the truth, I still make the conscious decision to stream his music or buy a concert ticket. That's a selfish act signifying that my values are more important than the women's stories. I deserve a pleasurable listening experience or a night out for myself over their comfort and their um, honesty. After reading these victim stories, I've also realized that separating these alleged abusers from their art becomes complicated because in so many cases, it's their music that gave them the platform and the resources to commit these crimes. In the cases of Adams and R. Kelly, both men allegedly dangled promises of mentorship in front of teenagers interested in music careers, which, if true, was a bait and switch to involve them in an underage sexual relationship. So for me, there's no way that I can consume music made by alleged abusers and not feel like I'm part of the problem, like I'm just another listener choosing to ignore the reports against the artist and continuing to pay them money and attention while upholding the power structure that contributes to these crimes happening in the first place. Um, so joining us today 
in this round table ish discussion, however, we're going to do it are um, some pretty awesome people that I know personally. So joining us here today, and I'm just going to go in the order that they are showing to me, are Chelsea. Hello. Rebecca. She said hi. <laughs> Erica. Hey. Uh, Jody. And. Can you hear me? Sometimes my service hoops out. Yeah, we can hear you for sure. I'll let you know if we can. Okay. Um, so I'll do that again. Sorry. Jody. Okay. Hello. And to get some male perspective, it's nope. Joel. <laughs> Hi. So, Chelsea. Um, I just wanted to briefly touch on something that we had talked about kind of in the chat, and it was about change and movement and, and pendulum swings. And I read this a really long time ago somewhere, and I don't know where, so I can't credit them. But um, if you think of change and how much energy it takes, you know, to start moving things, and you think of it as that pendulum and you get that big thing of energy, and then it swings. And what happens is you, you maybe tend to overswing or overshoot where you want to end up. But it's kind of a natural reaction. And I mean, if you think about how many years, I mean, until the 1970s, we couldn't even vote. If you think about the amount of years that um, we have been ignored and silenced and not believed, um, if, if there is somebody, you know, that we're talking about going too far with cancel culture. Yeah, you're right. That might, that might happen. Maybe, maybe someone gets swept up in the, you know, that maybe didn't do it, but this, this, we're talking about something that's been going on for centuries. And I think that there is, that is to be expected. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think we need this momentum and we need this, this energy to get where we need to go ultimately. In the case of Bombargo, and that's kind of why, I, that actually is what stirred this, is a whole band is being erased for the actions of two members. Um, in the case of the Dead South, the member quit, and these are both Saskatchewan bands that are, this is very current and very recent, so that's why I, I thought of bringing these up. But Dead South, he quit, no repercussions for the band. I'm not saying I know any of those members. They might all be assholes. They might not be. Don't sue me if you are in the band Dead South. But you're an asshole. You act like a bad person. You get the punishment. I think that's fantastic. In the case of Bombargo, I don't necessarily like their music. So this is not from a fan perspective. But two of the members acted extremely poorly. We have absolutely no causation to believe that the other five members are at all deserving of being career ruined should that be allowed in the case of a solo artist like michael jackson who did horrible things i believe even though not necessarily proven in a court of law but when people are willing to take that kind of payout and he's willing to pay that kind of money out i think there's probably some dirt there he is still Headley's no different. I mean, making... Jacob Hogarth did it and his band, we've never heard of them since. Mm -hmm. Right. So is that, do you think that's fair, first of all? I mean, yes, the pendulum has to swing that far, but when it wipes out innocent people at the same time, 
it wipes out businesses. If you get a business where one one of the partners embezzled or did fraud or anything, it can take the whole company down because that is your brand. That is what you're putting out there. And it's unfortunate that there are definitely casualties to that, but there's a reason. The punishments should be instant, harsh, severe, because it's supposed to be a deterrent. It's not supposed to be a, well, maybe, but chances are you're going to get away with it if you actually look at the stats. You know, like, that's that's not the message that we want to send now, and that's the message we've sent for the last four, I don't know how, thousands of years. And, yeah, like I said, there is going to be people that suffer, but... It's what happens. I mean, you're telling me that never, ever, ever, there were never any signs that this was the type of person that they had chosen to enter into a business with. That's the part that's hard to believe. Maybe they weren't a part of it. I'm not saying they are. But you see signs of it long before it ever gets to that point. Maybe it's, you know, when the when a girl isn't comfortable saying no and she's being silent, you see them put a little more pressure on. That's still coercion. Silence is not permission it is silence is a no and that's something i think we we tend to forget so no i'm i'm sorry i don't feel it's unfortunate i mean it is unfortunate but i don't think it's going too far my opinion awesome uh joel and then erica i would have to agree i don't see why business breaks the law and there's dealt with swiftly and quickly by courts of law everything else in the whole business so thousands could be thousands of employees affected and it's it's done, but yet when something like like this happens, it should not be treated any differently. I think it should be worse, and I think there needs to be more said about it. That you do this, yeah, your career could be ended, if especially if you knew. But it should. I don't feel bad for, for that band at all, because somebody they knew what they were going into partners with, and to me, it should be dealt with. Just like break, breaking the law, it should be dealt with the same. I don't see why there's in society there's a, there's a big difference now, and it shouldn't be. The it happens way too often, and especially now that I have two young girls in our care, and I become more of a stepfather, has totally changed my outlook on a lot of things, and especially on this issue. And it always was, but I say I wouldn't call somebody out on it. Like I, I do now. A friend make, makes a, a joke, I will call you out, and if you think I'm an asshole for it, I'm okay with that. But I will call you out every time, and I won't feel bad for it. Awesome. Erica? Yeah, I was, I mean, it's, it's definitely connected to what people are saying too, but whenever I think, like, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm kind of sick of hearing the term cancel culture. I feel like it gets thrown about so much, and I think that really what we need to do, like, I think we have to conceptualize that, like, cancel culture it's not it's not real right like it's this rhetorical device that is used to symbolize something but like you cannot cancel a human being right like that's a metaphor you can cancel a tv show you can't cancel a person and i find most frequently the term cancel culture is actually used by people that have negative intents so they're saying oh cancel culture has gone too far or people that are doing performative activism and they're trying to demonstrate like oh this is an issue i care about but when you listen to people who actually have a vested interest in social justice around these issues what people are asking for is a culture of accountability that is not canceling and i really think that when we give 
like it, this is an important conversation to have but like I don't think we can keep giving so much energy to like cancel culture because that isn't like that's a distraction right from what the real issue here and the real issue is accountability right and an important part of ca- accountability too because you know we've talked about like oh you you see the signs but an important part of count- accountability is it doesn't even matter if you know, like we have to separate intent from impact. And at the end of the day, like even if you, you know, didn't see the signs, that doesn't mean that there wasn't an impact of those actions. And we need to prioritize survivors. We need to prioritize those experiences. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, to a certain level, we're, we're all invested, but especially when you're dealing with like a local scene, right? Like smaller, like we need to be guided by the voices of survivors. And if survivors say this individual has, you know, has helped with healing, they've done, I feel they've done the actions that are necessary to create a safe community. That's when that conversation can happen. But I think when we focus too much on cancel culture, it's a lot of voices that shouldn't be leading, throwing it in there as this element of like performative activism, right? Like, look, like, look, it's my flag. I I care about this issue and I think we need to stop. And that's what that's doing is that's walking over the voices of the people that were most directly impacted. And I think it's really important that in all these conversations, like that's who we look to, that's who we let guide this situation if they're comfortable guiding it because we need to support them and whatever their wishes are, not our wishes about a larger picture from case-to-case basis. When it comes to rock and roll, counseling uh, classic artists with uh, misconduct allegations in their pasts may seem like canceling an entire genre. Uh, You can't change the fact that some 60s greats or 70s or 80s, we were talking just today about bands like Motley Crue, um, you know, the girls, 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 super misogynistic and super trashy and classless behind the scenes backstage but instead of uh erasing or attempting to erase uh erase generations of ill-behaved musicians or artists could we reclaim the genre and promote women who instead deserve the attention so this thought comes from um an npr uh, groundbreaking series called turning the tables it actually began in 2017 and continued Um, on past that. It argues that female artists are generally seen as less influential in their respective genres and that instead of counseling, we need to correct and place classic works by women more centrally in music history. So emphasizing works by Nina Simone, Aretha Franklin, Joni Mitchell, even more contemporary like Alanis Morissette, Shania Twain, Lauryn Hill. These are all artists that I listen to for sure but not as much as I have some of the male rock stars with allegedly violent pasts. So diving into lesser known works by, for example, Nina Simone, um, I feel like an idiot for having deprived myself of greatness from these women for so long and for not doing enough in the past to challenge what kind of artist I've considered great, i.e. mostly white men. (laughs) So that's a suggestion from um, sort of because we started with music as the reason for this um how about making that shift or do you think that's going to be something that people would find reasonable or acceptable thinking about music stations like the ever so wonderful ralco led radio stations <laughs> i see chelsea shaking her head <laughs> i mean i don't yeah they probably wouldn't <laughs> 
do it, to be honest. I don't know if we're there. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not against promoting women artists of any genre of any time. Um, I just don't know if it's possible to like, what would be the intent to overwrite? Because you can't really overwrite. I mean, you, you can, you can try and, and shift the focus, but I mean, yeah, it, but you can only shift what people are to what people are willing to see. You know, and if we live in a society that still doesn't really see see pe- survivors as I don't know how to say this properly, but we're as a society we're still so busy blaming victims that we don't. I was I was trying to have a conversation with this or about this with somebody and with a with a male, which <laughs> was was fun. Um, and I, it just brought to mind, like how different our per- perceptions are. And I forget that because I don't know how, I don't know if it's a choice. They choose to be that oblivious. Some people and some people don't, but like just no clue what I was talking about and kind of laughed it off. And I'm thinking you're raising three girls. <laughs> you have three daughters under the age of 10. And it, it was just like laughing and brushing all this off. And I was thinking, you can only bring change to a society that's willing to receive that change, right? And if that is prevalent, if if that is the common, you know, like, oh, this doesn't really exist. You guys are making it up, ha, 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 or exaggerating it. It's not that bad. If that's really what people think, then I don't think that you would be successful in necessarily shifting the focus, whether it's the right thing to do or not. Rebecca. I totally agree with you, Chelsea, on that. I don't think society is ready for that shift yet. And I don't know if shifting it to females versus males is necessarily the right or shifting the way society perceives things because women can be just as evil as men. Like it's the society. It's what we are asking them to do. We are asking them to perform for us. We like the strippers, right? We're not going to the concerts of Motley Crue and other people like the girls have strippers and male dancers and, you know, it goes, it, it goes both ways. It's, it's what we expect to see in their videos and in their shows, live shows. And until we as a society learn that, you know, music can be just music and can be amazing. And it is an amazing piece of art and not a piece of ass. That's where the shift has to be, I think. Erica? I, I might offer a bit of a contrary opinion to that. I think it's related, but to me, the big thing is it's it's not necessarily about what the performance is, but it's about the po- power dynamics that are fueling that. So I think it's a very different context if it's a male-led, iconic band, right, that is saying, essentially, we want female props, right, versus, like, um, I can't think of examples now, right, but, like, female acts that are, like, it is dancers they know personally. It is like, you know, choreographed by women. It's women led, like that kind of stuff. I think, I think we can't shy. Like, I don't think that's a problem with like all music is objectifying because I do think there is power in owning one's sexuality. And we can see that with a lot of female artists, right? So like, I don't think it's as, as simple as that, but I do think it's, you know, massively to do with the power imbalances that influence that. And like, again, like even with, you know, female identified artists right like maybe that's a choice that's being made because there's pressure from 
um, you know, sexist management that says this is the only way you can sell records. But maybe this is, you know, a female artist who has an awesome female team around her and it is an empowered choice, right? And that's such a, like a complex, nuanced balance. But I, I do think that we need to also main, hold space and maintain space for positive sexuality in music. So I think that's such an important part of art. And we can't, you know, like, we can't just say that like all of that is the problem we need to get at those root causes right of like the power imbalances that make those situations mani uh, manipulative or um yeah manipulative and i'm sure there are plenty of other words that are escaping so my mind motley Crue's girls 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 with strippers gyrating in the video now granted that's late 80s and wet ass pussy are that's like one is is by men for men objectified for men versus for women by women to empower herself like, and, I, and I think too like if we're going back to kind of the root of what kicked this conversation off that's what we were really seeing right like this was not a situation where these young female um actresses were saying you know that it wasn't an empowering space it wasn't a space where there was there was a huge power imbalance these were women who were trying to kick their career off and that's really where the issue came from right it wasn't just that it was sexualized uncomfortable content it was that there were these artists with an power imbalance that were pressuring and trying to um, create this environment and that's where we saw these issues arise and I think too that's right when we're talking about that there kind of has to be accountability for everybody that was in that space is and everybody facilitated that space somebody could have stepped up and pointed out hey, look, there's an power imbalance here. These are young women. I think that we need to check in with them. But nobody did that. And I think that's part of the reason, too, why this it's more than just right, two members, right? It's everyone that participated in that that had an opportunity to recognize that that wasn't a safe space, um, but didn't do so. Awesome. Chelsea and then Joel. I just wanted to say, touch on something that Erica had brought up quickly and, and Rebecca as well. Um, I think we also have to remember that um, sex workers aren't necessarily um, all being forced into it. And, and that entails anyone that you've got only fans, strippers, all that 100,000% support a woman's right to choose what she wants to do because you, you really can't objectify yourself. No, I, I mean, if you're making the decision, I know you can. I'm just, if I decide I want to open an OnlyFans and I think that I can make some money doing it and that's what I want to do, I think I should be allowed to do that and I should be in power and I should feel okay and safe and everything else to make that choice. Not just misogyny, but like, you know, internalized misogyny, us towards, and I mean, I have been there too. I mean, I've looked at, you know, name it you know, strippers or whatever as, you know, potentially being less, having less value than me. 100%. I mean, I've been there and it took me a long time to kind of look at that and figure out why and where that was coming from and, you know, to deal with it. And oddly enough, this pandemic, I have just been on this, not weird journey, but this journey through that I never thought I was going to be on of research and ultimately kindness and it's 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 been amazing, and that's something that I've actually spent a lot of time um, researching and getting comfortable with because I think it's important. My biggest problem with it is the fact that they expected these girls to act a certain way. It wasn't asked; they expected it, and that disgusts me the most. 
Uh, it's one thing if a girl's doing it by her choice, uh, but, but going into it, it was expected. And in society, I actually think the problem is way worse than what we actually, most people actually think it is. And a lot of days it saddens me that this is where, where we're at based on experiences at work and everything else. Um, it's sad that we've, women have to put up with this on a daily basis. And I don't know, I don't know how it, it's going to change. I know it has to change at some point. How we get there, I don't know, but I'm going to be part of the fight along the way for sure. I think it's just a matter of everybody continually calling it out every time you see it, right? Every time you see, and I mean, not just sexism, but racism, ageism, yeah, it all. Just out of curiosity, does anybody wonder if um, her race played a factor in, um, in what happened? Yeah. The first, when I, when I Googled her name, the first thing that came up was that she was uh, Treaty and then her images below it. So my question is, because I, I don't know the stats, but I do know that women of Aboriginal descent um, are more likely to be victims of these types of situations. I, I just, I don't know the specific stats. That is mind-blowing. That never crossed my mind, Chelsea. I Not just, when once. he was talking about that, it was the first thing I thought when I <laughs> saw that because... Again, you hear about it often, you know, they're, they're not believed even as often as uh, non-Indigenous people. There's a whole medical bias built into our medical system against them. Um, so their, their assaults tend to go underreported to uh, proper authorities. Like there's a whole, I mean, this is a whole other thing to unpack, but I just in so far as what we're talking about, I wonder how often not only is it assault against women of minorities because those they they just are reported even less and it was interesting that that was the first thing that showed up when i googled her name excellent erica go ahead oh i was just saying i, I like i can't speak to that situation directly but i do think that what it made me think of is i think it's important to recognize the way in media there's um hypersexualization of racialized people you see that a lot with right like Asian women and we've seen a huge attention to that recently obviously with the rise in um, Asian hate and and targeting of, of Asian women that are involved in sex work so I do think that that you know there's uh, again not being able to speak to that situation but I do think there's a large point to recognize here and, and understand that that when we're talking about hypersexualization of um, female identified people in media it does not yeah it does not evenly um affect individuals right and you see this i i think it's it's gotten better now but like i don't know if the algorithm has actually been fixed i think it is but kind of like there's one article that um at the u of s like almost every student has to read in their intro women and gender studies course and it's about how when you would google i believe it was filipino women the first thing you would get that popped up would be like porn sites. And so like for a very long time, these algorithms were set up so that if you were Googling racialized women, you would often be directed to porn sites, uh, which would not happen with white women, right? So there is this very long ingrained history of sexualization of racialized um, individuals. And I think that, that culturally that's a really important part to recognize when we're talking about like 
what are we what kind of media are we seeing who's being objectified is it's those are deeply ingrained with um, racist ideologies and they really work hand in hand now all of the discussion thus far has been centered on the basis that we believe the victim we believe all of the accusations however this leads to the following problem people generally don't Tierra Jackal's story has indeed been reported by every major news source here in Saskatoon, and all, with the exception of the Star Phoenix, have barely mentioned her details and made the stories and the headlines about how the boys have been accused and their weak-ass apology is enough to clear them. This isn't a new phenomenon. Hey, remember back in 2018 when Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified in front of a Senate Judiciary Committee about her allegations that Judge Brett Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted her nearly 40 years ago in college. Yeah, not a lot of people do because it was just a little tiny news story, right? She actually began her statement to the Senate with, I am here today not because I want to be, I am terrified, end quote. She testified for four hours about the assault. And when pressed about her recollections, she used her PhD in psychology to explain how norepinephrine and epinephrine encode memory in the hippocampus aka she's fucking smart and when asked if she was sure that it was kavanaugh who attacked her she didn't hesitate to answer 100 percent the fallout from dr blazy ford's testimony was that women began to speak out about decades old stories of harassment and rape and the hashtag why i didn't report exploded on social media while dr blazy ford's testimony didn't prevent the confirmation of Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court justice, it was a powerful warning that wealth, status, and a long record of professional credit was not enough to override accusations of misconduct. And it was also a warning to young men that drunken, violent acts could potentially follow them throughout their lives. Dr. Blasey Ford was interviewed by the Washington Post, and she talked about her reluctance to tell her story because she believed that he would be confirmed in spite of her testimony. Her family was driven from their home, bullied, sent death threats, and they were forced to hire private security, yet she still chose to bravely speak up. That kind of courage is truly rare. So, women aren't believed most of the time. Um, this is a, there, people aren't going to see your show of hands, <laughs> um, but I uh, just recently um, released a podcast where I talked in some detail about uh, not one, but two assaults that I have uh, personally encountered and gone through. Um, raise your hands if just in this room you or and we don't need to identify ourselves. I'm not asking you to, uh, but raise your hand if of the five women in this room, if you have been assaulted or had a Me Too moment. I'd, I'd rather just say yes out loud. I I said it on my, I did a post a long time ago. I was raped when I was 13, right before my 14th birthday. It was a, it was a long time ago and it was by a trusted family friend. So, you know, just, it's good to talk about it though. It's good to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. And for the record, um, I will not identify, uh, but two of, uh, uh, so four of the five women in this conversation raised their hand. Um, it is more prevalent than I think most people um, believe because we don't talk about it because people don't generally believe the victim or they victim blame. Um, this is internalized misogyny. 
So this is where women will subconsciously accept sexist stereotypes and ideas that are presented to them, uh, presented to us by media that surrounds us every damn day. It leads to slut shaming, victim blaming, and reinforcing those good old outdated gender roles. Um, yep, Chelsea. Oh, I was scratching my head, oh. but yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you personally follow, um, my, my dating page and I, I get treated extremely poorly on there. Just, just as an example, um, I said, no, thank you. I'm not interested the other day. And I said it like that very politely. And I got told that on a good day, I was a five and I would be best to accept. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase what came my way when it came my way. But thankfully, he wasn't trying to be insulting. He just wanted to offer his opinion helpfully. Now, that's some of the nicer things that people say to me on there. And when I tell people about this or when I, you know, tell them the explicitly sexual content I get from men on the first or second message, um, the, the first question I'm asked is, well, what, what does it say on your profile? What are your pictures like? Listen, I could be standing there naked. I could be standing there naked in front of you and you still do not have the right to one, insult me because I dared to say no. And let me assure you, this is what people don't understand. My my right to choose what's right for me, like every woman, is not defined by your values and your standards. You know, and I just think it is it is everywhere. It is so pervasive, this this, I don't even know what to call it this sense that we don't have the right to say no. And it's so ingrained that, that sometimes silence just seems safer because I mean, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get, you know? And I think, I don't know if I would, I would think that being a survivor would maybe heighten that fear a bit, seeing as, you know, that fight or flight would be pretty well ingrained in there. And I mean, even for myself, there's sometimes where, Silence just seems like a better option, a safer option, you know, because you don't know what are you going to get? Violence, anger. Okay. You know, so, I mean, if you're scared to even say no to a simple anything, it shows you how bad it is realistically out there. Joel? Uh, Just recently, uh, I spoke earlier and it was uh, last week at work. Uh, We have a, a newer staff, um, She's 15 years old. A uh, customer came through the drive-thru. Unfortunately, I was told after the fact, I was kind of helping up front and doing with, helping with deliveries and, and such. So I didn't hear the exchange. But a customer came through the drive-thru, older gentleman, uh, looking at cameras after the fact, probably about 40 years old, uh, made inappropriate comments about some of the staff that were working to one of my male one's in the drive-thru to the point where she didn't feel comfortable taking his food out because he had, he had to be parked, wait for food. She didn't feel comfortable taking the food to his vehicle. And I found it after the fact because there was a couple jokes made about she, her not feeling comfortable. And I immediately stopped everything and luckily it slowed down just the right time, almost like the powers that be where we were slow everywhere. And I said, time out on everybody. And I said, this is not acceptable. I said, you do not joke about it. Everybody has a right to feel safe at work 
And when that doesn't happen, I need to be told immediately, and it'll be dealt with swiftly. Because that is, that's just not cool at any time. And no person should feel that way. And that's where it saddens me that it still happens. That there's still men out there that think it's appropriate to make these comments to a 15-year-old. Like, that just, it just infuriates me. And maybe it's glad I was told after the fact. I don't know. Um, but I, I know his plate number. Uh, we have already taken <laughs> uh, statements. So if it happens again, it's a, it's a one call to the police. And I will not be afraid to call the police on it. I'll, I'll park them and make them wait until the police show up. That's awesome. Withholding his food so he has to <laughs> wait for the cops. I love it. I, yeah, I, a part of me, when Joel told me that story, I wasn't shocked at all. I was like, yeah. And I was waiting for more because I, I was like, yeah, that's the story we hear every day. And it's sad and it's gross that my reaction is, yeah. And? And I'm sure Chelsea, same thing. You get another message. I read it on your Instagram and I go, yeah, next. Because it's so prevalent. Rebecca? Yeah, no, I think I don't want to defend men who treat women that way at all. But I think it was a learned behavior. It was so accepted. And it was how things were. And I think, I mean, as a mother to four boys, I don't tolerate it. I don't tolerate disrespect. I don't tolerate you know, the use of girl things, boy things. I don't tolerate anything. And they will be taught that respect is respect and that no is no and silence is no. And that not all, you know, no two women are the same. It is always a conversation to be had. You need to get to know this girl. You need to learn what is okay, what is not okay, because those boundaries change with every interaction that you will have. And so... I, I fear for my little boys as they grow up into this society, if, you know, hoping that mothers are teaching their daughters about respect and that other mothers, the friends that they're with, are teaching their boys about respect and that my children are brave enough to say that's not okay and change, you know, the future. Fantastic. Being a sign of leadership, if, if you're, if you as a member of anything, it doesn't matter what it is, let's say you're a new member of something, especially you maybe don't have your peer groups established or your support network or whatever. Um, imagine if you saw that that was how complaints or questions or whatever was dealt with. Um, no, I was just going to like hop off the idea of learned behavior too. I think that when, and this this is a little bit of a tangent from where we started, but it's it's connected to what, Joel was talking about but I do think too like that's a learned behavior in a certain environment too and I think that's a massive thing in the restaurant industry that is a huge experience with servers and and not just like you know not just women servers like you know this you know hypersexualized talk in the kitchen right like I've experienced it personally briefly working um in, in a, a fast food um environment but I know even like men who've worked in those environments are, and are asked intrusive questions about their sex life, intrusive questions about, about things that, you know, it's, it's a form of sexual violence because it's these questions that are crossing the line. And I think that that's a huge environmental factor that it's really hard to challenge, right? Because there's this notion of like, mm, well, maybe that creepy customer is going to keep being creepy, but if I smile and play it off, I'm going to get a better tip, right? And that's, I think, a massive 
environmental factor and a contextual factor that that's one uh, domain where I think it's it's heavily normalized and and it's it's hard to stand up to it right because if you are if you do rely on your tips right it's you're in a very tough situation and that's context right where it's important that people that have a little bit more power like try to shape those environments and, and in a way that's not going to harm people that are directly impacted by standing up to those actions. Right, for sure. Jody. I just, I don't know, I have a lot of thoughts running through my head, so hopefully I can collect myself. <laughs> but um, just to respond to that a little bit, Erica, I've worked in male-dominated industry now for seven years, eight years, like running equipment and that kind of stuff, just for a little bit of background about myself. So um, in the last four years specifically, I'm the only female operator on site probably 85 to 90% of the time, like the only female out in the field doing stuff um, with the men or alongside or whatever. And hearing those kind of comments now, I don't even really notice them anymore myself. Like the, they are, there are a lot of hypersexualized comments. There's a lot of like, if you crack a banana on the work site jokes, like, inappropriate stuff constantly but when you're in a situation like that for me I've learned um, if you either confront it and tell them you know that's that's inappropriate I don't appreciate that that's out of context for this situation or whatever the case may be whatever verbiage you need to use um, if you approach them head-on most of the time, there's at least one other male present that will stand up for that and back you up and give you that. Just just let you know that there's somebody else there that understands and can and can relate to what you're saying, because they probably have a sister, a daughter, a mom, a aunt or someone that they know who has been in a situation that was inappropriate. Um, I don't know. I kind of come from a unique area where women are not often seen as lesser we are equal because we live in a really rural area so we're relied on to be equal like it's my understanding of everything is is from that bias because that's how I've been raised but but it's just that finding that confidence to speak up I think that's a huge area where women need to start is not just our own confidence, but letting other people know they need that confidence. They have that confidence. You just have to find it and you need to work on it and you need to build it. And everybody needs to know that it's okay to speak up. Like I am loud and boisterous. If somebody crosses me, I'm in their face and I tell them, no, fuck no, that's not okay. I'm not accepting that. And the more boisterous I've been throughout my life, the more I've learned that there's other people that are going to stand up for you when you're passionate about it and they can see that you need that backup. Somebody will eventually step out. Like it's a, I don't know. That's, that's the culture I promote. That's what I promote to my son. Like if you see somebody who needs help, help them. It doesn't matter if you like that person, agree with that person, any of that when somebody is in a situation where they need help, they need backup, they need feedback, they need anything. There's always that room to offer that loving kindness and that feedback and that support for someone. That was really long and rambly, but. Go ahead, Chelsea. I just wanted to say one thing because um, 
I think, yes, bravery and confidence is, is important. Absolutely. But I mean, I don't think it's that simple. I tend to be um, very outspoken. I don't really um, take into consideration what other people think. I just, if I see something that's not right, I say it. And trust me, that gets very little support. It really doesn't. And it's hard being the one that has to be, pick your adjective on what I get called all the time with zero backup. And it's, it's all the time, all the time. So it, it's a little bit more than that. And I mean, I'm glad that there's situations in which, you know, you're getting support, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I'm not saying that's because I'm female. I'm just, that's, I think what tends to happen when you speak out against established behaviors and patterns and, um, you know, you, you run up against the whole need to want to keep everything absolutely the same. No change, no change, no change. And yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable and it's hard. And sometimes, sometimes you don't want to do it because it can be lonely, you know? Chelsea, you and I were just having a conversation the other day and um, we are in a shared organization. Mm-hmm. Some people who hear this will know exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say something that, well, do you, are you okay if I say it? I'm not going to use names, but people will be able to put two and two together, I'm sure. Okay. Um, so we are in a shared organization and uh, we were both um, in... I'm going to very loosely use the term positions of power on a, an executive level thing and some provincial executive board. Yeah. And, and some things happened this year and I had enough and I just, I was like, I'm not going to do this for a multitude of reasons. And I backed away and was relieved of my position and I was not hurt one bit by it. Um, because there were people that were just, we didn't get along. That's fine. Um, for whatever reason. And then you tell me this story about something that's been continually happening with these same people. And Mm -hmm. you, um, mentioned that somebody that I, I was, I'm still jaw on the floor that this one particular person who was amazing last year and had my back no matter what I said to whom. And when I was treated with what I felt was a lot of misogynistic attitudes by some of the males in some of the clubs in this organization, um, when they didn't react to my emails or phone calls because I was a girl, because I had titties. Um, And I mean, other people also confirmed with me that this was 99% probably the reason why they were not respecting me and not answering my calls and doing whatever. I was 175% backed up by this person. And then you tell me a matter of days ago that this person is like hands in the air, toe the line, shut up, it's whatever, it doesn't matter. And I'm still flabbergasted because I think sometimes... For whatever reason, people who could be, should be, are great allies to whatever your cause. Something in them, there's, I don't know, I do not, I still cannot figure out why 
this person is no longer an ally to the cause. And I, I, I mean, it's to make, it's to make his life easier for the next 18 months. Correct. But I, can I just interject a different view into that? I don't think there was a change because, um, I encountered this. I had a different view of last year. Really? Yes. Um, and ooh, this is going to get <laughs> very specific if I continue. <laughs> um, I just find it interesting. And I'm, I'm going to talk about this in the general sense. If somebody treats you in a certain way publicly, but when it comes time for an apology, immediately does that privately outside of the place where they did it. It's a, it's not really an apology in my books because if it were, then it would have been done with the same energy in the same place that the, um, the incident had happened considering they were separated by about 30 seconds. (laughs) So um, yeah, I had a, I had a different view on that and that's completely fine. But going back, to your question it's a it's a matter of um rocking the boat you know and to me there really is a difference and by no means am I saying I am a good or a great leader please do not take that as such because I don't think I'm ready for that in any way shape or form but I do think that the difference between a good and a great leader, I'm sure there are many, but for this purpose, I'm going to focus on this one, is the ability to do what's right regardless of, of the potential personal consequences or fallout from that. And it's tough. It's really tough to do that. And that's what we're seeing is just that inability to really stand up and be that leader because there would be fallout. And in, I'm sorry, in a lot of ways, shapes and forms, our, our organization is the epitome of an old boys club. <laughs> I'm sorry, it is. That's never changed. That's correct. And it's not right. That's not right. Erica? Uh, I'll just jump off that, also speaking kind of generally. I think that's not just a quality of good leadership, right? That's a quality of, of true allyship. And if we're talking about being an ally, if a, a true ally has skin in the game too, right? Because they choose to put skin in the game. It's easy to be an ally, you know, in the back rooms and be like, oh, like, you know, in conversations with someone and talking to them individually. But that person by, you know, whatever whatever reason you're an ally to them, they are already facing risks in their daily life or discrimination. And if you as an ally don't experience that, if you're going to be a true ally, you need to put some skin in the game and you need to take on some of those consequences. And so that's not just leadership, right? Like that's true allyship is, is you're taking on some of the risk that is associated with that struggle. And you're saying, you know what, like if this comes back on me, if I stand up against an incidence of sexism and it comes back on me, I'm okay with that. And I'm committing to this regardless of how that impacts me. That's not just true leadership. That's true allyship. Um, and, and it's not the same as saying like, oh, well, when I'm talking to someone, I'll support them. But at the end of the day, I'm safe and I'm insulated. It's going one step further and it's putting your own skin in the game. And the problem becomes too, if, if you think of that as, um, you know, as a new member trying to get your footing, what you're being told is that you will be humiliated, ostracized, attacked, 
and that that will be accepted. I will get messages after saying, oh, thank you so much for saying that, you know, blah, blah, blah. But nobody, not a single person will dare to be like, yeah, I agree. Not out loud. Because it's already such an unwelcoming environment to non-conforming opinions, thoughts, questions. Um, so it... <laughs> What, what I, I just, it's kind of pre-built with those, those problems built into it. So I don't, I'm not surprised that people don't feel empowered to speak out or even, just even in support, even when someone else has said it, I'm, I'm really not surprised. So how do we change that? Um, personally, if you agree, say it. If that's all you, if that's all you, if you don't want to give examples, if you don't want to do more, maybe just let that person know that you appreciate what they're doing and it, it gives them the strength to keep going with their voice. Because like I said, it is tiring sometimes being someone who I don't know how to not point out hypocrisies. I don't know how to stay silent. And it's funny because I'm recently diagnosed ADHD and I've found out with my psychologist that this is actually common with people with ADHD. Um, we struggle with uh, needing extreme honesty and I'm it's something to do with trauma. I'm not all the way there yet. I've literally diagnosed two months ago, so I'm in a, in a research dive right now. I find that it doesn't matter. Like, I'll try and talk myself out of it. Like, okay, okay, Chelsea, like, you don't need to blah, blah, blah. But I can't not say anything. And I mean, I'm just it's not even that I'm brave or confident because I don't think I'm either of those. I'm definitely not confident. Um, but I just honestly think sometimes the overwhelming need to be like, that is not a, why is nobody saying anything? It's in writing. Like, and I can't, I'm just like, why, why? So, I mean, sometimes it's just nice to be like, yeah, I don't understand either. Or yeah, you know what? She's got a point. Only if you agree. I mean, don't, don't pacify, but support is nice sometimes. And you know what? I think that's probably maybe how I started out was just, you know, by maybe supporting other people. And then, you know, the more you use your voice, it's like a muscle. It just gets stronger and stronger. And now, bitch, this, this doesn't, I mean, it doesn't shut up. And Chelsea, that is why I am drawn to you. <laughs> Rebecca. I completely agree, Chelsea, with your thing of your, how you're saying we need to support each other. I don't think that we all have to agree with each other. I think the conversations and having, you know, platforms like this to talk about it and to have a safe space and to be people that create safe spaces, I think is a key issue where, yes, you know, just because we disagree on issues education is so important because everybody needs to learn from each other and there's there's you know I always say to my kids well there's right and there's wrong and ethics are great and you know that's something that we talk about is like there's always a right and a wrong choice but how we personally feel about them is where it gets a little bit fuzzy so I try to teach them you know just other people and have these conversations and work with organizations that I believe in and who have similar values to me and create places where my kids' friends want to come and talk to me about things or my friends want to talk to me about things and we can be voices together and I can support them 
and encourage them. And, and that kind of, to me, that's, that's important. Erica. I think too, and, and a, a big thing that I have, and I, maybe it's kind of out of COVID and, and the world that we've been living in too, but I think that there's a lot of value in, at a certain point, walking away from spaces to create new ones, right? Like I think we need to, there are a lot of systems that are, are, are fundamental and there need to be changes for them to be safer, but that doesn't mean that we also can't take energy and say, you know what, like we're creating a parallel system that's different and it's going to be grounded on different principles, right? And I think, you know, there's, when we talk about social justice, right, like there's different lanes that everybody swims in and everybody has a different role to play. And we, you know, throughout your life, you move in and out of ones and at certain times in life, people are going to be working in those those entrenched institutions, right? And trying to make that institutional change. But we also need people that are nurturing new spaces, right? That that are are founded on principles that that aren't misogynistic, that aren't racist, right? That are that are fostering these spaces for for whatever it is, right? And I think that, you know, at a certain point, I think that everybody, it's also your right to say, you know what, like I'm no longer trying to change that institution. My energy now is directed to to growing something and nurturing something and creating something because, and I think that we really like, it's, we need to recognize that too, as, as a really worthwhile use of energy and something that's really, really empowering and that whenever we can, we should support it. And even if it's not our space, right? Like even if it's some, another person's community, but they're saying, Hey, we need to call up for donations or materials or, or a space, right. To house this, that giving support, however we can is also a really worthwhile thing. And and long-term I believe is more transformative than trying to, you know, reform whatever broken institution it is. I think it'll be long-term more rewarding and beneficial if we kind of nurture and grow these spaces that, that are, you know, safe and empowering for the people that are drawn to them and that create them. Go ahead, Jill. I'll I'll say this um, based on what, uh, based on what Erica was, was just saying too, with supporting companies and, and such, I go back to what brought us all together was the music side and would I support any artists uh, that have allegations against them? And the, my answer is absolutely not. Um, that comes to a company, an artist, doesn't matter what. Um, if an owner is um, sexually harassing staff, I won't support any business or any type with my money or with my listening ears um, because again, it's getting on board and getting more people on board, and it's the only way I think we can do this is by all supporting e- each other. And when they go against what I believe in, why would I support that? Erica, fame and fortune—they're not a, a, a right. They're—they're they're not a right. They may be a byproduct of the art that they're producing, but they are not a right. And if you were given it or earned it, it can be lost as well. So that's something we need to remember that um, we haven't taken away their ability to make music. If we stop buying what's out there, we're not taking away their ability to produce their art. We're just not interested in the output of it. And that's okay. You know, just like anything, regardless of, I can look at a piece of art on the wall and think, I wouldn't buy that. It's not for me. And if my criteria for what I would buy for music is that you haven't been accused of a sexual assault or something, I think that that's my 
my right as a human being to make that distinction. But you have you have every right to produce music. And that's a pretty low bar, Chelsea. <laughs> that's a very low bar for our society. Um, another thing that just kind of popped in my head, I, I was speaking with somebody else a while ago. And again, again, just today, um, we brought it up again in conversation. Um, accountability does not erase or, or uh, not accountability, holding yourself accountable, being ad- admitting a fault or a flaw or a past indiscretion. I don't think should erase your entire being, meaning Tracy for, I'm going to say myself. So I, in the nineties, I was a terrible teenager and I molested and assaulted and was gross. And I did all these terrible things. I didn't know any better. And all of a sudden I'm like, it's brought to my attention that this is all terrible behavior. And, and I go, Oh shit. And I make genuine reparations. I genuinely reflect on what I've done and make myself better. And I actively promote and, uh, the, the, the corrections and correct others around me. And I fully embrace that and that new attitude. And I'm public and loud about it and I don't, you know, hide it or deny it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm afraid that it probably isn't in our lifetimes. Like it's, it's really sad, but that's where it comes to the people who are parents to really be like reinforcing. I love Rebecca when you were like, there's right, there's wrong and ethics are gray. Like, I love that. Cause it's true. Like we, we have to do our best every day. And I mean, I'm, I, <laughs> one of my favorite things is you have a belly button. You're going to fuck up 10% of the time. Like that's just legit. Like you are not perfect. You are not a machine. You will fuck up. Um, and when you do fuck up, you like admit it and correct yourself and move forward. And I mean, I don't think that at that point, a person should be totally discounted or totally discredited. I mean, we have people with, and I I think that's with every crime. If you have murdered someone in the past and you did your time and it was not that I think that murder is a fantastic thing, but I mean, you know, a mother defending her child and kill someone. Is that mother terrible forever? No, there was a reason they did that. Jean Valjean stole a loaf of bread. Should he, you know, like, I mean, there's, there's all these things that are terrible and, and are bad for us to do as, as people in a society, but you know, better, you do better, you act better, you demand better from everyone around you as well. And you become part of the solution. I think that's a completely different outlook then I didn't do anything wrong I'm gonna pay off my accusers um deny 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 um if I was 15 it doesn't count there's a totally different playing field I think people that are accepting their the blame and and correcting and doing better and making better I think should be given not a pass but and, and again I was like forgive and forget but I can't forget it necessarily, but I can definitely forgive it and move forward. Um, if you just want me to forget it and you deny that it happened and whatever, I'm never going to forgive. But I don't think we should be like someone says I'm sorry and then we move on the next second. Like that to me isn't 
reparation or change. I mean, no, admitting it would be the first step, but there's a, there's a lot, you know, in the case of the band, yes, they, well, I don't know what they've admitted, what they haven't, doesn't matter, but let's say they had admitted to everything. That's just one of many, many steps that would have to be done. Exactly. No. And, and in the case of the band, they went, and I paraphrase, oops, well, we're sorry that you feel bad. Next. Basically. Erica? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, I think really that, like, that kind of encapsulates what I was getting at, right, talking about, like, moving away from this idea of cancel culture, right? Because at the end of the day, like, this individual still goes on. You cannot, like, that's, you might cancel a project they're involved in, or you might cancel, you know, a tour that they were supposed to go on if they're musicians, right? But at the end of the day, there are still people that have, you know, caused this harm, and that really, I think, Tracy, what you're talking about really gets to the core of like um, uh, restorative justice, right? And it's not about punitive, right? It's not, it's about listening to the survivors and the harm and, and, and healing that harm, not about saying, and now for forever, you are, you are irredeemable. Like I think that, and I, I think part of the reason though, why this conversation, why we haven't started to see that side is I think when you look just chronologically at, you know, the Me Too movement and, and the rise of awareness about these issues, I don't know if we're at the point yet where anyone has had the amount of time needed to make the reparations to the harms they've caused, right? So it, it would be different if this were 50 years down the road, right? And we've seen the allegations come up and people have time to do that meaningful work and to, to you know, that that to work with survivors and address the harms they've caused. But I think we're in a, in a time right now where we're just seeing the start, right? We're seeing these allegations come front. We're seeing some people handle them very poorly, but we are seeing some people start to come on board and to begin that process of addressing the harms they've created. But I don't think that we are in the part of the timeline yet where we can actually see that play out. And we can at least not on a large scale level. I'm sure in many people's lives, if you were actually to talk to individuals in life courses, you would see this. But I think culturally, when we're talking about celebrities, musicians, artists, whatever it is, we culturally haven't hit the point now where we're coming to the other side of the circle and we're seeing what the future might look like, you know, when we have this. I think that if we want to see examples of that and models of what that might look like, we need to go to, to people's lives and to how this has played out on an individual level. And one day we might see that culturally, but I just don't think we've had enough time yet. <laughs> we, uh, we just sort of dealt with this um, in our family <laughs> the other day. Um, I, um, there's, a, there's a young person that we are very close to um, that is starting to question a lot of things in, in their lives. And um, uh, pronouns being one, um, gender identity uh, being one, um, perhaps even sexuality being one. And this young person uh, came forward and said, like, please call me uh, they, them. And we were like, yeah, no problem. And then somebody else went, oh, well, you know, they're little. They don't know what they're talking about yet. That's not for you to judge. And uh, yeah, that was my reaction, Rebecca. (laughs) So I was... um, I got a little heated under the collar because this person just kept insisting they don't know what they're talking about. They don't, kids don't know it. They've got to be at least 18 before they can decide what their pronouns are. And I was like, Oh, sweetheart, back that bus up. And it got a little heated. 
Um, a little. A little heated. <laughs> but, I mean, that's I, I'm going to defend people's rights to choose no matter what they're choosing, whether it be about their vagina or about their pronoun or about what they want for breakfast. It's their choice, their life. Um, their life, their choice. And in most cases, <laughs> I mean, as parents, we do have to like pump the brakes sometimes on children's choices, but that's, they're, we're giving them small increments of, of control so that they can make big choices later on. Um, the kind of cereal you choose today doesn't matter so much, but if I let you start making good choices, you'll make great choices later on. Um, but I think this, this person kind of realized when I, I basically said like, you've never had any kind of non-binary thought. You've never had any non-heterosexual thought. You've never had any of that. Your brain has just always gone straight and narrow. You've never had to think about it. You've never had to make a choice. You've never had to put yourself in that kind of a situation to have those thoughts. You are coming from this place. You don't understand this place. Take a moment and realize that maybe that's where this person is coming from, not from your super conservative lifestyle choices, whatever. And I mean, the conversation was stopped. And then the person was like, I realized that that's not what their intent was. Their intent wasn't squash choice, but that's how it was coming across. So I hope that the next time this person encounters any young person, that they will think twice before jumping on a bandwagon. And that's all we can do, I think, is just every time someone needs that little tweak. I mean, myself, I used the word Aboriginal until a two years ago when I went to a conference and they were like, at least in my mind, because that's how I live my life, everyone's trying to do their best. And if I fuck up on your gender uh, pronoun, or if I fuck up on Indigenous versus Aboriginal, or if I fuck up on something else, you'll stop me, you'll gently correct me, and I will do better. And I, I feel like I treat the world like everyone else will do the same. I know that's that that's a pipe dream, like a happy utopian fantasy, but I'm still going to try and live my life that way. So I think you hear a sexist joke and you're like, whoa, pump the brakes. Like that's inappropriate. Hopefully, you know, they'll take that with a grain of salt and, and move forward. And it, it hurts my heart when I hear like Chelsea talking about somebody that I consider a friend going, yeah, but whatever, your opinion doesn't count or I, I'm going to back this or I'm going to like, and that, that hurts me very deeply. And I, I, I'm just, I'm getting too old for this bullshit. I, that's why the point of the, the, the definition of the lexicon and blah, blah, blah. And now we use indigenous because X, Y, Z. And I went, Oh, indigenous. Okay. Oops. My bad. Move forward with the word indigenous. It's that simple. You do something, you learn better, you do better. And I think as long as we can keep correcting people gently, I wasn't very gentle with my correction the other day though, but if we can correct people gently and move forward, I think everyone, for the most part, I said last week, like <laughs> I, 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 I try to, I try to do my best and I, I try to like, you know, pussyfoot around sometimes and I'm like, fuck it. Like why, why, why bother? I, I took all this time to find my voice. I'm not going to squelch it. I'm not going to let somebody else squelch it either. I was just going to say that I think part of the reason I'm so vocal now is because I spent the majority of my life feeling that I didn't have a voice and like my voice didn't count. 
and I get like, you want to get my backup instantly? Try and silence me. <laughs> like it's just, it's an instant trigger for me. I don't, I just think it's so disrespectful and kind of going back to what Rebecca was saying, like, I don't need people to agree with me. Like I don't, I don't need that. I love different opinions. I think that we change and we grow and we learn because of differences in opinions and life would frankly be boring if we all thought the same thing about every subject on earth. Like I don't even want to exist on a planet like that, but at the same time, you know, it's, I don't know. I just think it's, it's an interesting time to be alive. And I think it's interesting to see the start of this movement and where we're hopefully going to end up with it. Um, and yeah, I, I, re- I fully agree with Erica as well. I, I think we're in the maybe toddler stages. We're just, we're just gathering speed and I don't think we are going to really see it fully in our lifetime. I just want to <laughs> add too, I, with going forward and with myself, you know, raising two, two girls, um, their mom has recently found her voice. And that is one thing I'm going to, if I can instill anything in them, is you have a voice, demand the best. Their their boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever they may be, their partner, if they're not respected or heard, you got to change it. And I'll support anybody, even whether they're small or old, in that decision because things need to change as a society and I'll do everything in my power for not just our girls, for any person out there that needs help having a voice. I'll be their advocate. I'll be in their corner and I'll back them up. I don't care what it means for, for my life. I'll back them up. Awesome. Uh, Jody and then uh, Erica. I just wanted to give a little shout out to Joel for that. Cause that's where I got my courage to always speak out from is uh, my father telling me that it doesn't matter what the situation is. Stand up for yourself. Like, if you need to say no, say no, say no with force if you need to. And that That's where I got my courage and my power from to always have that voice. And that makes a huge impact on a, on a young person's life to have the more adults they have in their life, building them up and building that scaffolding and giving them that courage and that insight to know that it's okay. It's okay to be that way, to stand up and say no and be the only person saying no sometimes. So that's a... Thanks, Joel, for being there for those little ladies and giving them that. I was just going to add, too, like, I think it's important. I mean, obviously, this isn't like a video podcast, but I think it's important to recognize that, you know, in the same way that that Joel could be right, like an ally for like girls growing up and, and supporting their voice. Like, I think it's important too to recognize that as like a group of like white women or at least white passing women, right, that like. It, it's important that we have a voice, but we can't stop at that, right? And we have to also learn how to have ears, right? And listen, because at the end of the day, historically, like, yes, women don't benefit as much as men, but just like by the nature of, of being white, right? We are benefiting so much more than so many people. So I think that that there's a process, right? And you have to find your voice first, yes, but after that, you also have to find your ears, right? And you have to, and, and learn that, your voice has a spot and you and you should value that but in the same way that you had to go through that journey there are many people that that journey is harder for 
um, and that that don't get to reach that point as easily as you. So I think that that's you know kind of the next step, at least as I view. Right, is when you're young, it's important to find your voice because that empowers you to recognize other people's voices and to to find your ears and to listen to people beyond your background and your experience. Excellent point. Excellent. Awesome. Well, um, thank you. We went almost an well an hour and a half at least. So. Um, that was amazing. Thank you so much, you guys. I said I would like take an hour of your time and it's been almost two. So ah, I love you. <laughs> so we recorded that round table just a few days ago. And since then, this story is still in the news cycle. CBC.ca recently published another article that spoke with a few different women in the Saskatoon music scene. And again, quoted Ms. Jackal's story about the Thoen brothers from Bombargo. This story in the, on the CBC also uh, quoted an article that there has just been a, a study done. Uh, there were 400 songs over the last four years. And of those songs, 97.9% of them produced by a male producer. There's so many strides for women to make and continue to make in the music industry, as well as all business and academic landscapes. There's there's room for so many advancements, and we all just need to keep speaking up when we see those injustices happening. Thanks again to all those brave ladies, Chelsea, Erica, Jody, and Rebecca. And of course, Joel, thank you for your input uh, as the male perspective in our conversation. Uh, It was wonderful to speak with all of you. And I look forward to coming at you again next time with more Tracy Says Things. Thanks for listening. This was Tracy Says Things, a podcast brought to you by Anchor Media. Produced terribly by Tracy. If you would like to volunteer your production skills or offer feedback, contact us at tracysaysthings at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at tracysaysthings.